hello and welcome. Welcome to Diverse Conversations with Ashka Patel. And today I'm actually very, very excited for our episode because we're going to be talking about pharmacy innovation in Canada with none other than Roger Simard. Um, for those who may know Roger or may not know him, Roger is a pharmacist, an entrepreneur, a visionary leader, um, a digital health enthusiast, and an innovator. Um, he, uh, in the brief time that I've had the pleasure of getting to know him, um, you know, I have been truly inspired by the journey that he has had um, from being a pharmacist to, um, you know, the incredible work that he has done. And I cannot wait to unpack that in this conversation today. Roger, thank you so much for joining today. And it's, it's definitely a pleasure of mine to have you here today. Uh, thank you. Thank you, Asuka. Thank you for having me. And thank you for all these superlatives. I feel um, almost uncomfortable <laughs> hearing all these superlatives uh, next to my name. But it's a pleasure to be here. And I'm happy that we uh, take this time to uh, discuss innovation, pharmacy and healthcare in general. Well, thank you very much. And I'm just going to say that you're being very humble um, about all that you have done. Um, and I think we'll leave it for our audience to, um, you know, kind of uh, align that together in the future. Uh, but to get to get get the conversation started, um, I think it's always important to understand the journey that you've had from, you know, becoming a pharmacist to where you are now. Um, and if you could share your journey um, and, you know, some of your experiences that really shaped um, your journey and where you are today. Sure. Well, first of all, I must say that <clears throat> I was very fortunate to have met individuals who inspired me, uh, who were themselves uh, innovators, uh, people who basically um, transformed the field that they worked in. And the first, the first person that I met that transformed my, transformed my life was uh, Bob Swanson and her, and, and also Herb Boyer who were the two founders of Genentech, the first recombinant DNA technology company uh, that was uh, able to produce pharmaceuticals using recombinant DNA. Uh, and so in uh, after a brief uh, one year it, as a pharmacist, after my graduation, um, I worked for the pharmaceutical industry and I uh, landed a uh, position as the first uh, sales representative for Genentech in Canada. And um, I was very impressed with uh, the science at the time and also the, 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 the marketing ability of these two individuals. And uh, it inspired me for what happened after this, uh, in, you know, these, these nine years that I spent at Genentech, first as a sales representative and also as a director of sales in, uh, in Canada. And we introduced uh, incredible products like uh, TPA for uh, myocardial infarction, uh, Pulmozyme or, or Darnay's Alpha for cystic fibrosis and, <clears throat> and growth hormone for uh, children who had uh, growth issues. And so when the company was purchased by Huffman LaRoche in 1995, um, one of the representatives that I had just hired uh, asked me if I was interested in, in uh, joining him and found a company that would take advantage of the nascent internet. And uh, you have to remember that in 1995, uh, we were still using uh, dial-up to connect to the internet. So we were plugging our computers through a uh, telephone with yeah. a telephone wire in the wall. And uh, at the time, audio was still uh, not uh, available on the internet. You could only see images, but he believed strongly that the field would evolve extremely quickly. And uh, sure enough, a year later, Real Audio developed their own uh, audio uh, plugin that we could use to uh, listen to music on the internet or voice. 
And we thought that we would transport the business model of, of the pharmaceutical industry, which was investing billions of dollars to organize dinners and PowerPoint presentations and hotels, um, and that we would create a software that would allow physicians to basically use a computer to listen to uh, a speaker, see the slides changing, and through a Java chat box at the bottom of the screen, be able to ask questions in real time. And because of our work with Genentech, I was uh, fortunate to meet with uh, Dr. Eric Topol, who was the chief of cardiology at the Cleveland Clinic at the time. And uh, Eric had convinced me uh, at, the, at the time after, after uh, Genentech, I was, I was determining whether or not I would purchase a pharmacy and become an, a pharmacy owner or create Conceptus Technology, which was the name of the company. Eric told me, you need to build the Conceptus Technologies company. The internet is going to revolutionize the world. It's going to be transformative and we'll do it together and you'll see it'll work. So that's what I did. And we built this uh, software and the very first medical cyber session, we called it, was done uh, with uh, Eric as the chairman with six speakers around the world. And we broadcast the first medical education on the internet in 1999 uh, to 400 physicians who were distributed uh, in, uh, everywhere on the planet. And so that's how we started. And, uh, and, and soon we, we, uh, we uh, developed all kinds of medical education programs that was sponsored by the pharmaceutical industry. But the problem we had then, and remember Google and uh, Facebook and, and the like did not exist. So we had a hard time reaching physicians to invite them to our programs, which were on the internet. So we had to send printed brochure to invite physicians. And that's where I had the idea that we would create a, a place where a forum where people would gather on a daily basis to come and uh, uh, read um, articles on their field in their field. And so we created the heart.org with Eric Topol as the chief editor. And uh, we hired the very, uh, very talented medical writers from around the world. And every day we produce six to 10, 1500 word articles in the field of cardiology. And it quickly became almost the CNN of, of cardiology. And the vision I had was to create this in all the medical specialties. So we developed nephrology uh, and rheumatology, and we wanted to do it uh, in oncology, in, in, in pulmonology, and so on. Um, but later, the, the, the chairman of the board and the board of directors at uh, Conceptus wanted to sell the company, so we sell the company. We sold the company to WebMD, and WebMD, um, even though uh, at the beginning um, promised that they would develop the other portals, uh, they were afraid, I think, that it would cannibalize Medscape, and so therefore they could not uh, go forward. So I left and then recertified as a pharmacist. I went back to university for a year with uh, students of a uh, uh, third year university in pharmacy. Stood a, I did a hundred hour stage in a pharmacy. And my idea then was to see how I could introduce technology and new processes in the field. And um, during my, my year at university, I realized that the course that we were given on pharmaceutical care, all the materials came from a book that was written by Linda Strand in uh, Minnesota. I uh, phoned her up and uh, asked her if I could meet with her because I also realized that they had developed a software to uh, collect data on pharmaceutical care. And we opened the pharmacy, my associate and I, Nathalie Turgeon, in the old village of Pointe Claire, and we were the first pharmacy to actually use uh, Assurance, which was the name of the software, uh, 
to uh, perform uh, pharmaceutical care uh, in a senior home uh, in Montreal. Wow. We, did it, we, we did this for a full year. We had a master's degree student uh, collecting the data. And, we, uh, and Nathalie published a, an article in the Canadian Pharmacy uh, Journal uh, on, the, uh, on the work. And um, we tried to convince the uh, Association of Retail Pharmacy to um, get funding from the generic industry to basically replicate the study that was done in the US with Lindestrand that showed that when you use pharmaceutical care as an approach, you could uh, demonstrate a $12,000 reduction in um, healthcare utilization in uh, patients who were taking more than six medications and who had more than four medical conditions. And we thought that this would be a great way to convince uh, the uh, public system to reimburse or, or compensate pharmacists for this type of uh, work. I've always thought that the business model of pharmacy was backwards because yes. we were paid to sell medications and my goal was to see how I could reduce the number of medications that people would be on so that would be the that, that was the, the, the great approach but at the time people were not convinced that this was the right approach you have to remember that this is uh, an era where pharmacists were getting what I call and still call kickbacks from the generic industry for purchasing their uh, their drugs and um, and so it was a very lucrative market and people did not foresee that the government at some point would basically um, put an end mm -hmm. to these kickbacks. So to a certain extent anyway, reduce it. So we uh, decided to uh, not pursue this anymore. And uh, there was an episode there uh, during this time where uh, the, pharm the, the pharmacy was in a very old portion of the city of Pointe Claire. And the grocery store in the uh, village closed. And the grocery store was next, uh, was across the street from the pharmacy. And you have to also understand that this is a village where the demographics was very much slanted towards uh, the elderly. And uh, for many of our uh, customers and patients, this was a uh, catastrophe. And uh, so I decided to uh, buy the grocery store, reopen it, to renovate the whole uh, store. And uh, this is something that uh, financially was extremely, uh, it was a burden for me. So I had to sell my pharmacy and uh, decide on uh, what to do next. And so um, I uh, took a plane and went to San Diego where my dear friend, Eric Topol was now living uh, at, and he was working at the Scripps Clinic. And Eric had just published the book, The Creative Destruction of Medicine. Mm -hmm. where he uh, laid out in very elegant terms the power that the technology, the, the, the cloud, the, the power uh, that um, is inside our iPhones and, uh, and our Android uh, mobile platforms, uh, the, you know, the whole gen uh, genotypes and, and, and um, genomics, mm -hmm. how this all put together would transform medicine. And I thought... This was great, uh, great concept. So I thought, how can I apply this to the field of pharmacy? So I came back, um, opened an another pharmacy with two associates and uh, decided to create a um, connected health project with seniors. And so uh, I, uh, I, I, uh, I was able to find a company in Montreal 
that had developed a very elegant solution for remote monitoring, an electronic dashboard. And um, we uh, started a pilot project uh, with the support of a uh, chain of pharmacy in Montreal. And where I followed 40 seniors, age 65 to 89, who were uh, computer naive. They, didn't they had never used a computer in their lives. They had never used a, a, a tablet in their lives. And we equipped them with a wristband, um, with a, um, a blood glucose monitor that was Bluetooth enabled, a, a scale and uh, a, a, um, a blood pressure monitor that was also Bluetooth. And all these uh, devices were able to send the data directly to the iPad that they were uh, lent. And also this, this information then automatically was downloaded into my own iPad at the pharmacy. And so therefore I could follow the, the biometrics in real time of 40 people who had never used uh, these devices in, in the past. So this became quite uh, interesting for a lot of people, including CBC, which uh, came to uh, the pharmacy and they, um, they shot a, uh, a program. They did a, they did a, uh, they did a show on this actual project. And I was able to convince the chain to uh, then expand this project into 15 pharmacies across the uh, province. And we did the 15 pharmacies, the, trying to tweak the technology and uh, train the, the, the pharmacists and their staff on how to use these technologies. And um, we, we, we came very close to selling this idea to for the 400 pharmacies of the chain, but there was an event that happened out, out of our control that made it impossible. So that kind of was the, the, the end of Pharmacy 3.0, which was the company that I had founded to, to, to perform this project. And it was, I must say, probably six years too early because uh, we've, seen with, we've seen with COVID that if it had done this now, yes. uh, people, people would have been a lot more inclined to listen to uh, or, or, or uh, consider technology, particularly if you look at the, you know, last week, the, the VA in the US announced that they would invest or they would uh, send an RFP for a billion dollar investment in, in remote monitoring capabilities. And so it is happening. It's, uh, it's, it's absolutely necessary in our, in, our old, in, our, in our healthcare system. But this was really exciting and, and uh, challenging, but very exciting to do. And then, uh, then after that, I became an advisor for uh, several startups that were interested in the experience that I had in digital health. I became an expert, a, a member of the expert committee of the WHO on digital health. Uh, I had a, a, a private group on Facebook on digital health uh, that I, uh, where I had about 700 people following the, uh, the, the different uh, articles that I uh, published every day. Um, and um, a year ago, I was asked by the Canadian Red Cross to come and work on a very exciting initiative uh, that's called EMIS for Emergency Management Information System. I work with a team of about uh, 25 developers, uh, programmers, uh, solution architects, uh, designers, and business analysts. And we are um, developing the next generation of the emergency management information system for um, to, to be used in, in, uh, in disaster situation like floods and fires and earthquakes and, and so on. So it, it's really exciting because it basically combines a lot of what I've done in the past 
and uh, but more importantly, this is a uh, this this is for a humanitarian mission, and therefore the product that we're developing is going to be uh, used in situations where people are vulnerable. So I I, I feel very privileged to be able to work with uh, the Red Cross on this uh, initiative. On top of it, we we also are working on the social. Um, social innovation uh, initiative for seniors, where we are evaluating how technologies can help uh, uh, help seniors stay at home as long as they want and in, 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 in as, as good a health as possible. That is so fantastic. That's my journey. <laughs> that is fantastic. And this is the reason why I call you a visionary leader. Um, you know, uh, I think uh, though you mentioned that you were six years early, I think you had that insight and that intuition to really understand the potential that technology holds, um, you know, in optimizing our patients' healthcare and their healthcare experience, even, uh, you know, going on a bit forward to that. Um, and, you know, that is truly an inspiration. Um, I think what your journey also highlights is the fact that pharmacists, um, you know, in non-traditional roles, I mean, the role that you're doing right now, um, you know, supporting Canadian Red Cross and building this emergency management system, it's incredible, um, you know, to combine your passion for medicine and along with technology and to, you know, be in this position where you're able to make such an um, such an influence to, you know, how we will manage emergencies moving forward. Um, I think it's a true pride for a profession to see mm -hmm. that. Um, and I think just kind of extrapolating that, given your extensive experience in pharmacy innovation, um, you know, I think the number of companies you have created and successfully, like, you know, accomplished the goals that you've set out to achieve, um, you know, how do you describe the current pharmacy innovation landscape in Canada and where do you see it going next? I'm very encouraged by what I see because I see people like yourselves, uh, people like uh, uh, Re. Uh, yes. At me, <clears throat> mm -hmm. and several young pharmacists in Quebec who are launching uh, new initiatives and who are, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't say following in my footsteps. Some of them are because some of them attended the presentations that I did on digital health, and it, I, 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 I like to hope, I like to believe that it uh, somewhat inspired them to go in the same direction. Uh, and um, and so I'm I'm very encouraged. I see young entrepreneurs uh, developing solutions for improving communications between healthcare professionals. Um, I see young entrepreneurs looking at ways to um, map all the assets that exist in uh, community-based organizations or the healthcare system. Um, and I I see this happening now in at a time where during my days the cloud did not exist. Everything needed to be built. Yes. Everything needed, you know, when we had conceptist technologies, we had to purchase a million dollars worth of servers oh, and we had to have servers in Montreal. We had to have servers in Washington to create redundancy. Right now, this this is and and everything now is available off the shelf. Yes. And so people now are starting their companies and they have this vision where everything is possible. It's true. If you put everything your mind to possible. it. <laughs> Exactly, and so um, the, the 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 so the landscape right now is uh, ebullient. Um, mm -hmm. The challenge, as always, always mm -hmm. been, it's the humans. Yes, it's uh, how to convince people that this could be transformational. Um, how do we convince uh, governments, insurance companies, pharmacists, physicians to, for once and for all, put the patient in the center? and develop everything around it, around them. Mm -hmm. 
how do we create reimbursement mechanisms for innovation to uh, take hold, to, to, to be possible? Because that's, that's the problem. The problem is not the technology. The problem is how we can't seem to be able to shake the tree right. and to challenge ideas and concepts that are making being a pharmacist or a physician or a nurse more difficult, not because we don't have access to technologies, but because of how we are compensated and because of how the system works. So that's, that's to me, to me, that's the tragedy, uh, I not agree. the technology. I agree for sure. And I think that kind of, um, you know, leads me to my next question, which is, do you see these barriers and challenges only in Canada or is this a global theme that we're seeing? Are these like traditional challenges that every entrepreneur around the world will encounter? Well, it, ex it exists to at different degrees. There are different degrees. And some countries, I believe, have done a much better job or some organizations within countries have done a better job at addressing these issues. The, the VA and the Kaiser Permanente in the US, Geisinger Health, for instance, are two, uh, three models that uh, when we look at how we could emulate what's happening in other countries that could be imported here. Those are three models. The NICE in England, as far as digital health is concerned, is a, a, a incredibly uh, stimulating. Uh, what they do in Singapore, what they do in Germany uh, on digital health, what they did in Estonia on, uh, on e-health is astonishing. They, um, you know, two years ago, I was in Berlin for the World Health Organization meeting and I met the former Minister of Health of Ukraine. And I was explaining to her how in Canada we had invested tens of billions of dollars into developing what we call, you know, um, not even the electronic medical record, but the public system, uh, uh, electronic system. Um, and billions because each province in Canada is like a country. Mm -hmm. Each province wants to have its own system. Um, each system is not, you know, the, even within the system, there is no interoperability per se. Yes. And so, and so the perfect example was the latest vaccination for COVID-19, where if you get vaccinated, it goes into a certain database. This database doesn't talk to the central database and therefore uh, it won't show up in your, uh, in your uh, what we call in Quebec, Carnet Santé. So that, that's an example. But she said, you know, uh, in Ukraine, we essentially purchased the system that Estonia had developed and we ended up with a, um, uh, a hospital medical record, an electronic medical record, uh, electronic prescription um, for $35 million US, wow. $35 million. We had, and she said of the 52 million Ukrainians, we have about 30 million uh, who are now able to, whenever they see a physician, they take their uh, mobile device and they have everything that was performed in real time. And so again, the, the, the key here is to look at what's best around us Yes. and import as opposed to trying to reinvent the wheel and um, develop ourselves things that were developed by others. I agree. I agree. And, and, and again, like, you know, and that, that 
think that is also, and that was one of the reasons why I'd asked that question was really to understand like, you know, whether we're facing these barriers globally. Um, I personally um, had an opinion that, you know, some of the barriers we face, especially when it comes to expanded scope of practice or digital health, even, um, you know, in terms of having a universal access to digital health is more restricted to Canada and North America to a certain level, just because of like the different legislations and regulatory frameworks that we have, which make it extremely difficult sometimes um, for, you know, these technologies um, to help support patient care and the patient experience. Um, how can we promote innovation within the profession of pharmacy and, you know, any resources you would like to highlight for somebody who's aspiring um, to innovate? Well, I think we need to look at it from a, almost like we look at digital transformation in, in organizations, okay. private and uh, at the Canadian Red Cross, for instance, there is now a transformation, uh, digital transformation office. And I think that each profession should have a digital transformation officer. Right. And the, the, because once you start looking at digital transformation, it will force you to look at how you do things mm -hmm. today. How are you being compensated? For instance, uh, pharmacists, every day uh, that I work as a pharmacist, I provide advice. I give uh, advice to uh, people who either phone or come to the pharmacy. And when they, um, I was a consultant for the Quebec Association of Retail Pharmacy, and they asked me how I thought we would be able to show the Minister of Health our relevance. Right. because there was a huge conflict between the retail pharmacists and the, the Minister of Health. Mm -hmm. And I thought, you know, why don't we uh, build an app yeah. and uh, quantify the impact that our advice has on healthcare utilization? And uh, they liked the idea and they built this app with a Montreal-based company. Mm -hmm. And uh, researchers from the uh, HSA in Montreal and Cyrano uh, got involved in the project. And it became a, a paper actually, which shows that the advice that pharmacists give um, save, I believe, three quarter of a billion dollars per year, yet the pharmacists are not reimbursed for that, like other profession, healthcare professionals. And so, but the, and then, and then when you ask people, well, can't, can, can't you use the, the, this study to convince the government to pay the pharmacist? The government will answer, well, we could, but then we have to take the money from somewhere else right. so, or for, from someone else uh, compensation. And so if, if you start to look at, for instance, if you start monitoring uh, diabetic patients with remote monitoring uh, strategies, uh, like I did with my project, I was able to uh, decrease the number of medication that one particular patient was on from four to two. Um, well, in the current reimbursement model for a retail pharmacy, this is a nightmare because if you are taking two medications instead of four, the fees that the pharmacy will uh, have uh, for the year will be reduced. It should be the opposite. Exactly. Uh, that, so once you have a digital transformation office and you start to look at all these things, insurance companies, if you in Canada uh, are an asthmatic and uh, you don't take your inhalers as they are prescribed and you end up with a, uh, an asthma attack, which requires hospitalization in Canada, the, uh, if you're insured through a private uh, group, 
the insurance company is not uh, on the hook for the hospitalization costs the government is. In the US, there is an incentive for the for the insurance company to make sure that you are compliant with your medicine because if you end up in the hospital, they are the ones who will have to, sh to shell out $3,000, $5,000 for the hospitalization. Here, <clears throat> we don't have a disincentive for monitoring and for preventing because there is a disconnect mm -hmm. between the two systems. So those are examples of if you start to look at how digital health can help prevention, <clears throat> help in uh, you know, changing lifestyle, changing yes. behavior, um, you need to find a mechanism by which the healthcare professionals will be compensated because no matter what people say, like we all say we all do our job because you're passionate and we, we have a mission. Um, if you look at what people do, it's driven by the compensation. And so for me, this is a critical part. Uh, if you want to innovate, you first start to look at have to look at how we are compensated as healthcare professionals. I agree. I agree. And I think, and personally, it's my opinion as well, where I, where I think that, you know, we as a profession need to do better in terms of tracking, you know, what our actions um, lead to in terms of patients' health, health outcomes, right? Um, and how do we translate that research um, to then advocate for um, compensation and reimbursement? Because right now, I think there's also a big gap in terms of, you know, what the public perspective is of what pharmacists offer to the healthcare system, um, where yes. primarily the first image that they have is of pharmacists dispensing medications when, you know, right. clearly we do a lot more, um, me and you, like, you know, the roles we have are very non-traditional and, and really like, I think the last thing we do is touch medications to dispense them. It's more to do prescribe if anything else. Um, and I think with that in mind, and like, you know, you shared some great insights in terms of, um, you know, private insurances, um, kind of picking up the cost, especially in the US when it comes to, because it, it's more of a liability for them if their patients are not compliant. Uh, we are slowly starting to see that a little bit, at least here in Ontario, where we have Green Shield Canada that has, you know, kind of come up with their cardiovascular uh, program for patients who are yep. with Green Shield. Um, however, it's still in its infancy is what I would like to call it, because, you know, we're still not seeing, um, like, all the outcomes from it in terms of, you know, what the impact of those programs are, something to watch out for in the near future. But what are some trends in pharmacy innovation that we should be watching out for in the near future? Oh, that's a good question. <laughs> Is like remote monitoring was one thing that you had talked about. Re um, re yeah, re re remote remote monitoring is one. Um, automa uh, uh, um, automation. Yes, I find. Um, I feel like we are well. The one area where I almost I shouldn't say gave up, but. I, um, I realized it would be a lot more difficult than I thought was the entire um, dispensing system solutions mm -hmm. in pharmacy. For me, this is an area where if, for instance, Apple or Google right. decided to create a dispensing system, it would be light years from what it is today. Because what it is today, they are meant to be used as a way to sell 
medications, right. period. Mm -hmm. it, is, it is not data-driven. If you want innovation to take place, you have to think data. Mm -hmm. You have to be a data-driven organization and or profession. Right. And so th these dispensing solutions need to become data-collecting systems. They need to be in, they need to use deep uh, learning. They need, they need to use natural language processing. They need to know who I know, who I am when I work. They need to know that if you are the five, the, the 500th patient coming to me with a prescription for metformin, that it is exactly, it knows exactly the system, what I will do, right. what questions I will ask you. And in fact, you know, ideally, when someone comes with a prescription, I should be able as a pharmacist to offer two options, mm -hmm. the drug or for instance, a digital health program right. to start with. Right. And maybe you won't need the drug or maybe if you need the drug, you're gonna need a lower dosage. Potentially. And maybe you'll start with the drug and maybe eventually I'll get you off the drug. I would like to be as a pharmacist, somebody actually who take people off drugs, mm -hmm. not put people on drugs. I, I like the reference for that from the Dean of Pharmacy at Laval University, Jean Lefebvre, who's one of my inspiration. And he called me a pharmacist without pill. He said, that's who you are, Roger. You're a pharmacist without pill. You aspire to be a pharmacist without pill. And um, so, Innovation in pharmacy should start with the dispensing, the dispensing system. I came very close to convince a change, a chain to work with Apple and IBM. Apple would have created the UI, the user interface, and IBM would have created the backend. Uh -huh. And this system would have been using, um, if, if, if you received a prescription for an antibiotic, the system would automatically either call you, send you a text message or an email asking you after a day, after two days, after three days, then it would collect all this information from everybody who received this antibiotic. If these people also received a certain drug and we had 500 people who received the same and we uh, were told by these people that they experienced side effects. You see where I'm going? Yes. <laughs> this, 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 this becomes an intelligent system. Yes. And the pharmacist actually in, in my dream, and I, I even was able to convince Apple about the design of a pharmacy that would have sold digital health tools. Wow. Like the, the Apple Watch and so on. You wouldn't have seen the medication and the pharmacist would not have been behind the counter. They would have been upfront with their staff, right. take, taking information while robots and automated uh, devices in the back would prepare the prescription. Because I feel like pharmacists need to be upfront talking to people, yes. looking into their eyes, shaking their hands and connect with them and Thank let technology do the work and this is again I think... one day to go ahead i'm trying to convince some young pharmacists who are entrepreneurs <laughs> to go in that direction 
Uh, I agree. And and this is, again, it proves why I call you a visionary leader, um, you know, because I think you're thinking of uh, realities. I think uh, that dream of yours is a lot more closer to reality today as we speak um, than, you know, when you had initially envisioned it. And I think the, the foundation that you have laid with your conversations has really set it up for aspiring entrepreneurs who want to pursue that further to, you know, take those conversations, pick them up from where they where you have um, already established and then take it forward. So definitely, I do think that it's a it's a very viable future and it ties in very nicely with digital therapeutics as well because that is another emerging field um you know to watch out for in terms of um you know how we treat our patients because it's no longer going to be just a physical pill that we give them right um there is other modalities that you can offer um yes other than a medication um to yes. help them with their with their chronic conditions yeah, yeah and you think about social prescribing yes um, if if a, a healthcare professional prescribes a walk in the park, uh, knitting, mm -hmm. or um, caring for someone in the neighborhood, how do you track uh, whether or not the person uh, follows the prescription? And how do, you, how do you evaluate the outcome? How do you evaluate the impact? And so I always felt that the pharmacist uh, and the pharmacy mm -hmm. was the place where you could basically implant the technology to, uh, to 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 basically offer mm -hmm. uh, service, and you know because and because these technologies they need to be serviced. Uh, when I did my project with the seniors, I used a uh, I used a, a Garmin VivoFit because the batteries could be uh, the batteries lasted for a year. Yeah. But but after a year, I needed to replace the batteries myself. So I had little you know screwdrivers in the pharmacy. I showed my staff how to do this. So. You need to offer, you need to support, and you need to track yes. the outcome. For sure, for sure. And with that said, I mean, um, you know, with, we we, are, we talked about the trends, and I think that will have an impact in types of the types of roles we'll see, right? With for pharmacists and pharmacy technicians, and how do you see, um, like, you know, our roles changing over the next five to ten years with digital health becoming um, a more, you know, viable dream, well, more viable reality, um, and with its growing presence. Well, I really see us as the specialists in uh, therapeutics, whether they're digital or uh, pharmacology, mm -hmm. pharmacological. I don't know if it's a word. Um, I see us as the as this as this as the specialists, and I see us as be, being in uh, at the center of the uh, technology hub in healthcare. Um, so, for me, <clears throat> we become coaches yes. to patients who need to know how to use the technology. We become coaches to uh, patients who are using drugs. Um, and uh, our role is also a connector between you know, the different healthcare professionals. I really see ourselves as members of the healthcare team mm -hmm. and uh, with better tools to be able to communicate uh, the, the, and share data between uh, ourselves and, and the other healthcare professionals. I really would like the pharmacists to get out of all the clerical work that our lack of technology is now forcing us to get into because, you know, we're archivists. We're people who basically take a piece of paper and we digitize it yes. for free yes. um, today. This, uh, I know this, the staff does a lot of it, but what when the staff does this, they are not doing something that the pharmacist now is supposed to do. When the pharmacist is behind a computer screen 
entering information, the pharmacist is a slave to the system and not the other way around. Mm -hmm. It's not normal. Um, I, I really see our role changing from being somebody behind a computer to becoming somebody in front of patients and people. I, 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 I Yeah, and, and if we don't do that, I guarantee you that uh, if, we, if we want to stay behind the computer, with AI and um, with artificial intelligence, you'll be replaced by a computer if you stay behind the computer. If you're not going in front of the person who's in front of you, everybody will, everybody, it, 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 it's, it's, quite, um, it's, it's quite possible to envision uh, the use of technology to uh, basically determine if there is a drug interaction, they're much better than we are. It's much better to decide if the uh, if the dosage is, is right or not. All these things can be done by computers. What cannot be done by computers is the connection, yes. the human connection and the coaching yes. that we can offer. And so for me, our role needs to be transformed, but it cannot be transformed if we are not deploying the right technology. I agree. I agree. Such wise words. Oh my gosh. <laughs> You're inspiring me to like, you know, go out and make a difference again <laughs> or do something and, you know, just kind of stop doing what I'm doing right now and just start something new. <laughs> um, with that said, though, I think uh, one of the biggest challenges, and again, I'm speaking from personal experience here because, um, you know, as a practicing pharmacist myself, being out of school for a few years now, um, it is always a challenge, you know, when I'm thinking of making a switch or starting a project um, or, for, uh, you know, or a male memorial riskier project would be a startup of some kind, you know, how does a practicing pharmacist make that switch from your experience and what you have seen to be some strategies that they can employ? I think that, well, first, you know, being an entrepreneur um, is a, um, it's, it's a special trait, right? Not, not, not everyone is, is cut out for that. But if you do have it, it doesn't matter which field you're in, mm -hmm. uh, because you're your, your passion for wanting to improve um, what you chose as a profession will be the driver, right? So if you, be, if you strongly believe in making things better mm -hmm. and, and changing the way uh, we do things, if this becomes the driver, what drives you crazy is status quo, inertia. Yes. And um, it's right, that's, that's why it's also very important for people like myself at my age to be connected, connecting with young people like yourselves, because I need to see that people have this spark. Yes. They have this desire to change the profession that they chose and that they love. Mm -hmm. And um, because I love my profession, you know, exactly. I, I, I do. The interaction that it allowed me to have with people, the, the, the level at which I connected with individuals because of who I was as a profession, as a healthcare professional, this is extremely gratifying. Um, but every time that because I, 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 I lacked the technology that I needed, every time that I was brought back to do something that I felt I, need, I, I, I shouldn't be doing, this drove me crazy. I can imagine. <laughs> 
as a professional. And so you can imagine that I have been in, 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 in lots of different fights with lots of different vendors and providers of technology and so on. And what drives me crazy is all this innovation in pharmacy that people are responsible for exist as satellites because yes. of the absence of interoperability. So people develop a great software for uh, anticoagulant monitoring. They develop a great software for delivering the drugs. They, de mm -hmm. they deliver a great software for managing blister packs. And it's double entering the, done, the, the data, triple, triple entering the data. And all the data that I was talking about, referring to earlier, is all dead because it's in silos and no one is able to make sense of it. Errors, for instance, errors is another thing that drives me crazy. There's so it's so easy to track incidents mm -hmm. or accidents in pharmacy, <clears throat> yet we're not doing it because the dispensing system does not allow you to do this, and because the dispensing systems of each chain do not talk to each other because of the you know competitive landscape. Again, the data is dead. Doesn't exactly. And it brings us back to the point that you were talking about earlier, you know, we, we need to start thinking of patient being the center of, you know, our innovation. If we, if we keep that patient in the center, you know, interoperability goes out of the question, like it is a must and right. it, there should be no other arguments to it, right? Um, where yep. we would want all data to be shared because that's how we would know holistically who this patient is and, you know, what we have to do for this patient. Um, and th those are some, some great, great insights. And I guess as we are wrapping this conversation up, you know, how do you describe the future of pharmacy in the next five to 10 years? And, you know, what do you see, what are some changes that you are anticipating or envisioning? Well, there, there are a, a bit of a, an uncertainty as to what the, the, uh, the technology giants such as uh, Amazon will do uh, in the world of pharmacy. There is a, uh, a risk if uh, pharmacists do not get together yes. and imagine what this transformation could look like. There is a risk that from a technology standpoint, from a, a data analytics standpoint, from a, uh, uh, from a user friendliness standpoint, mm -hmm. a, huge, a huge part of the market will disappear from what we know today as being the traditional pharmacy. And so, it's possible to combat it, but the only way to combat the technology giants is to use technology wisely. Yes. If you don't do this, for sure, you are going to see your business model being eroded mm -hmm. to a great extent because the youth, the new generation, the people who are born, raised, and who live with mobile devices and uh, very uh, sophisticated technology will not accept that they know more than who is supposed to be their coach. If I go to a pharmacy today as a woman and I ask my pharmacist about clue or natural cycles and my pharmacist doesn't know about these two mobile apps that I as a woman have been using for the last year because I don't want to be on a, an oral contraceptive, the first reaction this person will have is that my pharmacist is outdated. Yes. And so if we are not in front of the parade, we're going to be watching it and it's going to be painful. 
Oh my gosh, yes. And you couldn't have summed that up um, any better than that. Because, and I agree with you, because like, you know, and again, like it's something you had alluded to earlier, where it is those relationships that we're able to nurture with our patients. Uh, I truly believe that that is our USP. Um, and we need to, um, you know, kind of and for her, further enhance it through, you know, keeping up with times and the offerings that the patients are demanding um, or there's a need for. Um, and if we don't, then we're definitely going to miss the miss the boat, and then we can't complain at the end of it, right? Because uh, we would be kind of responsible for where we end up. Roger, that was a fantastic, fantastic conversation. And uh, again, I just want to say thank you so much for making this time to come on and like, you know, share some, uh, some incredible insights. I think I'm certain that the listeners will truly, truly appreciate, uh, you know, what you had shared today, especially around pharmacy innovation, because we do not talk about it enough. Um, and, you know, there's a, it, it, those conversations happen really in silos. And I think, um, you know, I'm hoping that with, with you know, this conversation releasing, um, it would allow listeners to you know, reach out to you, to connect with you, um, you know, to, to discuss ideas a bit more out in the open so that we are able to help each other um, and, you know, connect people with the right people who can help them out. Um, and uh, I truly thank you for, um, you know, coming on today. And it was a pleasure having you. <laughs> It was a real pleasure. To um, thank you again for inspiring all of us. Um, I'm truly excited to release this very soon. Um, in the meantime, we'll keep in touch and I'll share your contact information just so that if somebody wants yes. to reach out to you, um, you know, um, that they're able to connect with you uh, there. So thank you again, Roger. It was a pleasure. You have a great day now. Thank you, Aska.